Hello, everyone. I'm Pastor Rick Hawkins of Quest Church in Norman, Oklahoma. I want to thank you all for joining us today. This podcast is going to be informative, insightful, and inspirational for your life. Listen every week because we'll have a special word just for you. Uh, Today, we're going to go right back to Mark chapter 5 this morning. Um, If you would, we'll start in verse number 21. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, you can just look on the screen. Hallelujah. We'll begin in verse 21. I'd be remiss if I didn't say this. I'm always honored when Pastor Rick asks me to speak. Um, It is a humbling thing. Uh, You guys are very astute, mature Christians, and uh, you receive heavy word. And so to be responsible to feed this flock is a heavy one, and I'm always honored to do it. I love him very much, and I thank him for the opportunity. Mark chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 21. And when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, he was on the Sea of Galilee, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. He was near the sea. He was on the beach. And behold, there come one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet. When he saw Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay your hands on her, that she might be healed, and she shall live. Listen to that proclamation Jairus made. If you lay your hands on her, she'll be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him, or they pressed him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood 12 years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing better. She didn't get better, but she grew worse. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind him and touched his garment. For she had said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned around in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto them, Thou see all these people thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he ignored them. It doesn't say that, but it shows that. And he looked around to see her that had done this thing. And the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. She told him the whole story. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith, somebody say your faith. Somebody say my faith. Have made thee whole. Go in peace and behold of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house. See, we already forgot about Jairus. Certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe. I'm going to talk for just a few minutes on the subject, Jairus, a man of faith a man of faith. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you this morning. As we've already previously said, we feel you in this room. We acknowledge that. 
God, I come before you right now asking you for your help. As I prayed and studied this week, I knew there would be people in this room that need you. They'd come to the end of their rope. They've reached the end of the line. God, they've done everything they know to do and nothing's changed. But God, you are the way maker. And we're asking you right now to do something big in this room. Do it in the lives of your people. Maybe do it in public, maybe do it in private. It doesn't really matter. We don't care about that. We just ask that you do it. We need you. We're looking for you. We know you passed by this room today and we're just reaching for you. We're just reaching for you, God. Somebody needs a breakthrough. Somebody needs a mountain to be moved up out of the way. Somebody needs some healing in their body. Somebody needs that lost child to come home. Somebody needs salvation in their family. Somebody needs deliverance from that thing that's been messing with them for so many years. And they haven't been able to get rid of it. They need you. So we're asking that your Holy Spirit come in this room today, God. Elevate our faith today, Jesus. And do something great in somebody's life. We are careful to give you all the glory. We don't want none of it. We just want you to be lifted up. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. I need somebody to build some faith. Come on, somebody build your faith. Come on, somebody say hallelujah. Just begin to lift up the name of Jesus. I know we praised. I know we praised him. I need to, you lift up your voice. You begin to petition him. Call on the name of Jesus. It's at that name that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Whatever you're facing has to bow to that name. Somebody lift up the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Tell somebody, we're going to get it on this morning. You may have your seat. Brother Josh, the Lord would say, I am in this house. He is. I am here, He is here. Come on, somebody. <laughs> We know this story is very familiar to us. Of course, Pastor Rick preached out of this passage last week. We know how the story progresses. Because after that point where Jesus tells Jairus, don't be afraid, only believe, we see him begin to move again. They were headed towards Jairus' house. They were interrupted. And then they began to travel again. At that point, Jesus said, everybody stay put. He kept the crowd there told Peter, James, and John to go with him and Jairus, and they went to the house, and you guys know the story when they got there. Jesus tells the whole family that's there, don't be afraid. She's not dead. She's only sleeping. And when he tells them that, they make fun of him. They scorn him. They laugh because they know for certain this girl is dead, but he sends them out as well. And as he sends them out, they all go in, the three disciples, Jesus and the mother and father. And Jesus walks up to the girl and he just grabs her hand. And when he does, he tells her, little girl, arise. Yeah. And she does. And she gets up and she begins to walk around. 
And as she's walking around, Jesus looks at them and gives them an instruction. Don't tell anybody this happened, but get her some food. Don't tell anybody this happened, but get her some food. It's important to know the whole story here as we traverse our way through this text. Um, but there's some things that I want to kind of pull to our attention this morning before we dive off in it. Um, this is a crucial and critical time for us as believers, as people in general, as Americans, as human beings. It's a very critical time. Oh, how we need a word from the Lord. So many questions that are being asked today. Uh, there's so many wonderings and confusing signals that are being sent out amongst God's people, not only amongst God's people, but amongst our culture. It's creating a frenzy of sorts in our generation. And we want to know what is God saying? What is he saying? What is he doing? Why is he allowing this? What's going on? What are we supposed to do? Where are we historically in relation to the end times? Does this mean Jesus coming back in a few minutes? A lot of people are already selling off all their stuff with the expectation that he's on the way. He's already saddling up that white horse and he's coming. We don't know when he's coming. But he told us himself, we don't know the day, the time, the hour. We don't know when he's coming. Many times in history we've been right here. May not have been just like this, but we've been here in the past. So it's important that we don't try to take the mentality that we need to get up out of here. But it is important that we ask some questions. Let me reassure you about a couple of things. Number one, God is in control. Uh, his plan is not in jeopardy. His program isn't distorted. Uh, his sovereignty isn't in question. It's not in peril. And, and, and his agenda will be accomplished. That's a certainty. And so it is for you. So it is for you. He's not concerned about the call he put on your life. He's not concerned about, he's not discouraged with your destiny. He's not even discouraged with your disappointments, how you might have disappointed him. He's not discouraged by that. You might have let him down, but he still has confidence in what he put in you. Do you want to know why? Because he's the one that put it in you. And he trusts himself a whole lot more than he trusts you. And that's why to every believer is given a measure of faith. A measure of faith is actually the breath or the pneuma of God. It's the picture of when he breathed into Adam the breath of life. It is the deposit of faith. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In order for God to speak a word, he has to breathe. And so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Then the root of that faith is found in his breath. And if his breath is the root, then it's in you. So he ain't discouraged by whatever you're going through. He ain't discouraged by what you've done. He don't care about your mistakes, your mishaps. He don't care that you fell on your face because that's not what impresses God anyway. He's not worried about what's going on. He remains faithful even when we are faithless. He will always remain faithful. He will finish what he started. He will finish what he started. You know, in today's day and age, uh, speculation is like commonplace. To be a skeptic is normal. We question everything. Doesn't matter your political stance. Doesn't matter 
you saved, unsaved, doesn't matter if you're a word of faith person, UPC, Pentecostal church, Kojic, Baptist, Catholic, Methodist, Lutheran, you're a skeptic. You're questioning the preacher, you're questioning the president, you're questioning the senator, questioning the coaches, you're questioning the teachers, you're questioning the police officers, you're questioning the thieves, you're questioning the thugs. Everybody's questioning everything. Speculation, it runs rampant. What's the motive? Why are you doing it? What's in it for me? Nothing but questions. We question everything. We fight about everything. Because we feel that if you don't have my opinion, you're wrong. Because I'm right and you're wrong. And me being right is more important and you understanding that I'm right is more important than any kind of unity or progress in life. That's more important. So I'm going to fight that fight. That's what we do. We fight, we fight over everyone. Everyone speculates over everything. And what I see in this is that our beliefs are under attack. Our beliefs are under attack. I'm never surprised when an unbeliever doesn't believe. Never surprised when an unbeliever doesn't believe. And that unbeliever, the prefix un, literally means they don't believe anyway. So why is anybody surprised when an unbeliever doesn't believe? But we still choose to attack the unbeliever for some reason. I'm going to leave that alone this morning. What I am always, and I shouldn't be at this point because it's happened so often. What I am surprised by is when believers don't believe. When believers don't believe. You see, the speculation and the skepticism that we see in our culture has invaded God's people. It's invaded God's people. You can try to deny it. You can try to reject it. You can try to say, no, sir. You can try to say whatever you want. It is a truth. It is the facts of the day and age we live in. However, believers are just as skeptic as anyone. Today's war is over what you believe. The war that's at work in the earth today is over what you believe. Not what you know, what you believe. There's a difference between what you know and what you believe. Let me just talk to you for a minute. We're just setting something up for where we're going on this story. Jairus, the man of faith. I haven't forgot about him. There's a difference between what you know and what you believe. Here's, the, here's why. Because your knowledge can elevate. Your knowledge can change. Um, in regards to our relationship with the Lord, if my knowledge of God, the greater it is, means I'm more secure in my salvation and righteousness, if that is a true fact, then the illiterate person is at an extreme disadvantage of me because I know more than him and he doesn't have the opportunity to know anything more than what I tell him. But John 3, 16 said, for God so loved the world that he sent, y'all know the verse, his only begotten son, that whosoever, whosoever knows, whosoever understands, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Go on and read the rest of that scripture, 17 and 18. Most of the time we don't even look at it, but it's just as powerful because it has to do with your belief. 
Jesus is showing that the, the prerequisite or the, the, the qualification for serving him, the qualification for his salvation, the qualification for his blessing is not in your righteousness. It's not in how well you know the Bible. And it's not in your opinion. It's in your belief. It's in your belief. And so the attack that I see today is against our belief. When I was coming up in church, I was raised in a uh, Baptist church. Excuse me. I was raised in a Baptist church. Uh, the denomination was G General Assembly of Regular Baptist Churches. Wow. <laughs> but that, that was the denomination I was raised in until I was 12 years old. And they were extremely strict, extremely strict. Um, matter of fact, you weren't allowed to preach out of the book of Acts because the Acts the book of Acts was over, right? So my dad actually got uh, excommunicated. He was about to be the pastor of the church I grew up in, and he got excommunicated from that church because he preached out of the book of Acts and the power of the Holy Ghost. He didn't preach on tongues, healing, none of that, laying out in the Spirit, none of that. All he did was preach that the power of the Holy Spirit is available to us to live our everyday life. He got excommunicated from that church because he wouldn't recant it. That's how I was raised. So, the way I was raised, and many churches were like this, many of you will be able to identify with this, um, when, when I came up, there was an extreme focus on behavior, on behavior, and behavior is important, how we behave is important, there's even scriptures about how to behave in the house of God, Peter gives some of those instructions in the New Testament, but how we behave matters, amen, here's a truth that you have to accept, belief trumps behavior belief trumps behavior a person cannot change their behavior until they change what they believe a person's belief system is the foundation for their life how how is that whether you know you have and I'm not whether you know you have a belief system or not it doesn't matter you do have a set of beliefs and based on those beliefs is how you live your life. They determine how you respond to people in conversation. It, 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 it gives you the reasoning for why you do the things you do because it's a set of beliefs. So a person, you never can get somebody to really change until they actually change what they believe. That's why addicts keep going back because they don't feel like they're good enough. They don't feel like they're better. They don't feel like they can live without it. That's why uh, people with a poverty mentality can win the lottery and in two years they're broke because they didn't change what they believed. Many of us have lived in the same mess our whole life and we're asking God, why won't you get me out of it? And he's waiting there with open arms waiting for you to change what you believe about yourself not just about him but about yourself there's an attack right now on what we believe see if the devil can get you to question to speculate about uh, what you believe then he knows he's got you because if he can change what you believe about him he can change your behavior to a negative what 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 how do you how do you even get that well the original sin was that Adam and Eve ate the, ate the fruit, right? No. 
The original sin was unbelief. The devil, the serpent, got Eve to question God's word. Did God really say? Did God really say? Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Faith is hard to define. Faith is hard to put in a capsule. Yeah, we have Hebrews 11, 1, right? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. That's even hard to understand, right? It's the substance of things. But faith is this, it's, it's just out there. There's no way to quantify exactly what faith is. We, we go through scripture and we see where Jesus tells us to have faith. It tells us that we, we do actually have faith. It, it tells us that it's the substance or the thing we stand on, but we can't see it. Uh, it's, it's the evidence or the proof, the thing we can take into the courtroom to prove that we have it, right? But we still don't see it. It's, it's, not, it's not like right there in our hands. We can't, and it's the same, but, but you know what faith is? Faith is built on our beliefs, Faith is built on our beliefs. Faith is built on, on, on our beliefs. But here's the deal. Faith is spiritual, and faith is a matter of the heart. Faith is a matter of the heart. What is the heart? The heart is the soul, the essence, the, the, the centerpiece, the, 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 the core, the, the, the outflow of who you are. Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Faith is a heart issue. Luke 4, Luke 6, 45, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So faith is a heart issue. It starts in the heart. Romans 12, 11, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony that's why it's so important for you to have a testimony because if God can do it for you God can certainly do it for me and if you hold your testimony a little too tight to your chest and you don't share it you don't know that somebody who's been needing that testimony just so that they can acquire the faith you have for what they're going through I'll say this faith is transferable in in, in 2nd Timothy you'll see where 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 Paul is writing to Timothy, and he tells him the same uh, uh, unfeigned faith, the unfeigned faith, the pure faith, the genuine faith, the, the clear faith of your grandmother Eunice and your mother Lois is, is in you also. It's in you also. So faith is transferable, but it's personal. It has to be personal to you. It has to be a personal faith or a relational faith. So you can't transfer that faith unless you have some kind of personal relationship with somebody. I'm talking about your testimony right now. I'm talking about your testimony right now. They have to be a witness. They have to be close enough to feel that transference. What are some examples? An example is the four, the four men that grab the paralytic and they, they walk up to where the house where Jesus is and he's, he, they can't even get to him. So they climb up on a roof and they dig open that roof and they drop the man down. And what does Jesus say? Because of y'all's faith, he is made whole. Because faith is transferable. Faith is transferable. Faith is transferable. So faith comes in ways like that, but faith can also go. Faith can also go. Faith goes when we're too familiar. Faith goes when we get used to Jesus. Faith goes when we get accustomed to going to church on Sunday morning. 
And we forget that the reason we're coming in here is to lift up the name of Jesus because when we lift him up, he draws all men unto himself. And the idea is like what Pastor Rick posted on Facebook this morning, that we want people to experience God. We don't need folks explaining him. But we get used to him, and so faith goes. Faith goes. I, I remember in Luke 22, I'll read this. Jesus is speaking to Simon Peter, and he says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, he's trying to get his attention. Behold, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith fail not. That your what? Your faith fail not. And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. That your faith fail not. That Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you. Literally means that he may riddle your mind. Look it up for yourself. It's the Greek word to riddle you. What is a riddle? A riddle is given for the purpose of confusion or to separate you or to poke holes in something. Whenever the devil comes to you and he riddles your mind, the whole point is to separate you from your belief system, to separate you from God. How does he do this? How does he do this? Do you think the devil really wants your car? Do you really think that he wants you to be sick, that that brings joy to his life? The devil ain't about that. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy what? His whole premise is the very first thing, the very first trick he did in the book of Genesis. He wants to separate you from God. He wants to break you from the belief system that he is God and he has everything in my life in his hands. If I can get you to, to not believe that or to question it for one minute, that's why I'll take your car. Because I'll get you to doubt that he gave you the promise to begin with. That's why he'll make you sick. So that you'll doubt that God is a healer. That's why he'll let that bill collector come and take all your money. Why? So that you can doubt he's a provider. That's why he'll send the adversity into your life. Why? So you can doubt that God is the preservation, the refuge that we run to and we are saved. The devil don't want all that. He just wants to riddle you. He just wants to riddle you so that he can separate you from those knowledge. What's, what's an example of a riddle? And I'll, I'll tread real soft here, I promise. I tread real soft, but I'm still going to talk about it because I have a firm conviction about this, so I'm going to talk about it. How, how will he riddle you? How will he riddle you? How about I just say it like I wrote it so I don't mess it up? Here's a riddle. Tithing isn't relevant today because Jesus came to fulfill the law, and the law is Old Testament, and we live under a new covenant. Almost everything I said in there is true except for the first sentence. Tithing isn't relevant today. Jesus did come to fulfill the law. The law is the Old Testament. We do live under a new covenant. However, tithing came about in Genesis chapter 14 when Abraham just finished winning a major risky battle and he had victory. And as he was traveling, he approached a high priest named Melchizedek. Melchizedek was not only a high priest, but he was a king. He was a priest and a king. And in that moment, Abraham was inspired by the Lord. Ironically, side note, Melchizedek was a priest unto the same Lord as Abraham was. We don't even know how that happened because the Jewish people hadn't even come about yet. But somehow he was serving the same God. And in the midst of all that, 
Abraham, out of his own volition, out of his own uh, uh, heart, out of his own what he wanted to do, he said, I'm giving a tenth of everything I have to you because I'm giving it as unto the Lord. Now, why does that matter? Because Melchizedek is a shadow, a, a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. How do we know that? How do we know that that's a type and shadow of Jesus Christ? Because Hebrews chapter 7 tells us that. Read the whole chapter uh, of chapter 7 in Hebrews. It talks all about Melchizedek. It talks all about him. He's a priest. Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. So here's the point. Here's the point. Here's the point. Uh, tithing is not under the law. Tithing, and I want you to hear me, is not a mandate on your life. Tithing is something we get to enter into. It's a covenant of the heart. Has nothing to do with law. Has nothing to do with that. Jesus did come to fulfill the law. You know why he came to fulfill the law? So that we can enjoy every blessing that comes as a result of fulfilling the law. Because in ourselves we cannot fulfill the law. We cannot fulfill it. Tithing is a heart issue. Even ask Jesus. For, out of, uh, 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 for where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. I don't tithe because I have to. I'm not scared of the devil if I don't tithe. I'm not scared of that. Well, you know what I'm scared of? That I'm missing out on a blessing that God intended for me the whole time. On top of that, I want to make sure that this heart is in the right place. I want to make sure that I, this heart never forgets that all of my possessions come from him. And if all I'm going to bring him is 10%, then so be it. I'm going to bring it and lay it at his feet and thank him for it. And I'm going to allow the 90% to be the biggest blessing in my life. Has nothing to do with law. Has nothing to do with that obligation. So a riddle is don't tithe because it's Old Testament. That's a confusion. But the devil doesn't just do it with that. He does it with everything. Why? So he can separate you from your beliefs. Because if he can separate you from your beliefs and put doubt in your mind. See, people already messed up about everything I just said. And I did it as an example. I said it to start with because it's a truth. The devil will riddle you any way he can. The point is to make you feel empty. To poke holes in it. To poke holes in it. I think that's enough on faith. I have a lot more here, but I think we should just jump back into our story. Jairus, a man of faith. Jesus was passed over. So why was he, what is he passing? He passes over the Sea of Galilee. And what had happened over there was there was this man that was ravaged by spirits, the legion. You know the story of legion. And he casts out the spirits, and they go into the pigs. And then the pigs jump over the, the cliff into the, and they all die, right? Well, everybody was excited about the miracle, but then everybody realized 2,000 of our pigs just died. And they didn't like Jesus no more. They're good with Jesus having miracles, but don't let Jesus mess with your money. So he clearly felt he wasn't welcome there anymore, and he decided to leave. So he crosses over Galilee in a boat back to the shore. I'm saying this on purpose because nobody knew he was coming. Nobody knew Jesus was on his way back. Let's talk about Jairus for a minute. This was a ruler 
in the synagogue. So he could have been a Pharisee. There were these courts or boards, however you want to call it, of 23 rulers and synagogues in all the different cities that had synagogues. He could have been one of those. He could have been a Levite. All we know is that he was an official in the synagogue, which means he, his living, he made his living serving the house of God. So we knew that. We know that he has a daughter, 12 years old. How many of you have kids? How many of you have kids over 12 years old? Almost the same amount of people. Think about the relationship that you had with that child for 12 years. We don't know much about this little girl other than she was sick unto death. But we do know it was his daughter. I have two. They're the, I'm not going to even say it because I'm going to start crying. They're, they're, the, they're the gems of my life. When I think about my little girls, man, I get happy. It's hard for me to even get mad at them. As a matter of fact, my wife will get mad at them, and I'll defend them, and then my wife will get mad at me. <laughs> they probably deserve to get mad at, but they're my daughters. I'm not telling them anything they don't know. They're precious. For him, it might have been a promise. It might have been his only child. Think about this. His daughter is dying. She's dying. If she's sick unto death, then he must have done everything he knows to do to get her well. He was a, when you worked in the house of the Lord at this time, you were taken care of. You were doing all right. So I'm sure he spent a good amount of money trying to get her better, and nothing was working. He had the best prayer warriors in the world praying for him. He had the best prayer warriors at his, at his dispense to pray for her and lift her up. And in the midst of all of his prayers, in the midst of all of his believing, in the midst of all of his sacrifice and everything he was capable of doing, she was still dying. So here comes Jesus across the water. And he's in the boat. The disciples are probably cutting up, laughing at Jesus, because Jesus was pretty sarcastic. He was probably saying some funny stuff about the pigs and the people and how the people were kind of like the pigs. And I don't know, I'm just kind of making things up. <laughs> but they're coming over the boat, and they land on the shore. And as soon as they land there, it's as if the people recognized the boat. And they realize Jesus is here. And when the people realize Jesus is here, they thronged to him. They got close. And the only way my imagination works in this story is that it was morning time. And Jairus was walking on the beach because he knows that the voice of the Lord walks in the cool of the day because he's an officer of the synagogue. So he knows the word, right? So he knows that's where the voice of the Lord walks. And so he's there. And he's walking on the beach. And this is the day that his daughter is going to die. 
And he chooses to take a moment before she awakens to just go visit the Lord and talk to him for a moment. And tears running down his cheeks. You ever been in that moment where you know you might have reached the end? And all you know to do is call on God one last time. And he's walking this beach. What you must understand about these officers and Pharisees is that they didn't like Jesus. Most of them were against Jesus. The only ones we know of that were really fond of him was Jairus. But also Joseph of Arimathea, who turned out to be one of his disciples, but he hid it because he was scared of the Jews. And then we know Nicodemus, but Nicodemus also came at night, right? He was hiding his approach to Jesus because everybody else hated him, as far as the officers are concerned. Stay with me. And all of a sudden, he sees a commotion, and he realizes Jesus is here. And he abandons all reputation. He abandons everything he has, and he comes to Jesus. The scripture says he came to Jesus, and he fell at his feet, and he asked him, Lord, my daughter is dying. And if you lay your hands on her, listen, she shall live. He didn't care who saw He didn't care if he got excommunicated from the church or not. He was going to fall. He had nowhere else to turn. And even though everybody else was rejecting him, he had seen it for himself. Because this was the region Jesus lived and did a bunch of miracles, so he had to have seen it. It was a happenstance. It was a random moment of perfection. That's how God works. Just when you least expect it. Jesus shows up on your beach. I don't know about you, but I've been in some deep, dark places. And I needed God, and I thought his back was to me. And all of a sudden, right there in that moment, he was right in my face. Jesus didn't ask him if he did everything he needed to do to get her well. Jesus didn't ask him Are you like all the other Pharisees that want to spit in my face? Jesus didn't ask him, are you going to be one of the ones crying crucify me when I'm standing next to Pilate? Jesus didn't ask him, did you sin last night? Jesus didn't ask him if he was hung over. Jesus didn't ask him if he was addicted to anything. Jesus didn't ask him if he stepped out on his wife last night. Jesus didn't ask him none of those questions. He just saw Jairus at his feet. He saw faith in him, and he said, I'll go with you. And so here they go. They start walking toward Jairus' house, and there's this unbelievable interruption. Jesus is walking. They're thronging him. You guys heard the whole story last week, so I won't spend a whole lot of time on this but I will drop this statement on you sometimes your pain will lead Jesus down a path that brings healing to somebody else sometimes your pain will lead Jesus down a path that brings healing to somebody else there's purpose in the pain you're going through 
you may not understand any of it. You may be saying, I don't deserve it. You may be saying, I've done everything I know to do. I've walked the straight and narrow. I've served the Lord. I've tithed my money. I've prayed every morning. I'm always in the Word. I never miss church. And I don't understand why God is allowing this to happen in my life. But what you don't know is that God might be leading you down that path just because somebody else... Somebody else needed Jesus to pass by. And the only way Jesus would pass by is if he was walking to your house. And so as he's walking, another woman, another female is dealing with an issue. She also has a 12-year issue. She doesn't say it out loud. The Bible says she said it within herself. If I can just touch it, I'll be whole. And so she does. She gets down on the ground. Some of us ain't been desperate enough to get down on the ground to find the healing that we need. We're complaining about the issue, but we ain't got desperate enough to actually get the healing. So she scrambles and she crawls and she gets through there and she touches the hem of his garment and immediately she's whole. whole. And watch this. Jesus stops. They're making progress, but he stopped. They're going in the right direction, but he stopped. He's doing what he said he would do, but he stopped. It ain't been done yet, and he stops. And you guys know the story. He deals with the woman. He tells her, your faith, the faith you possess, made you whole. And they're like, teacher, there's all these people. How do you, how do you even ask this, the question? As if Jesus is stupid. Are you stupid? There's all these people. What do you mean who touched my clothes? Everybody's touching your clothes. No, no, no. Jesus knows when he does it for you. And so in front of all those people, he wants to make sure all those people know Jesus made her whole. He made her whole. He made her whole. In the midst of all of this, what's so amazing to me is that Jairus never lost his faith. Jairus never complained. He wasn't like me. In that moment, I think I would be a little obnoxious. I'd be like, wait a minute, you're here for me. You're here for me right now. The reason we're even in this specific location is because we're on the way to my house. My thing, my promise, my gift, my daughter, my destiny is dying and you're stopping. She's dying. We don't have time for this. My problem is urgent. Not once did he complain about it. I hear believers complain all the time. Jesus, is he ever going to do it? I, I lost faith in God because I prayed and asked and he never did it. He, they, they, he didn't complain. It didn't matter that Jesus stopped. Sometimes the delay you're going through is just to see your faith. Or maybe God wanted to show you how powerful he really is. If he can stop that 12-year-old issue, there's another 12-year-old issue he can fix. And so he never complains. In this whole thing, he never complains. And I can hear Jesus, he's in, in himself, I can hear Jesus in his mind, don't quit, boy. Hold on. Don't give up. Trust me. Don't give up. Hold on to your faith. 
Don't let it go. I know your daughter's dying. She's going to be dead in a minute. But don't give up. You know, it's an urge. It's an urge. It's a compulsion that everybody has gone through. Every warrior has faced it. Every basketball player and football player has faced it. Every woman, every man has faced it. There's nobody that's exempt from the urge and the compulsion to just quit. This is too hard. I'm throwing in the towel. This isn't what God called me for, to go through this mess. He didn't tell me the struggle was going to be like this. I made too many mistakes. I'm giving up. I don't have what it takes. I'm giving up. They've said too much about me. I'm giving up. I'm going to quit right here. It's an urge. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't quit. Look at your neighbor and tell him, don't quit. Don't quit, honey. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to your faith. Your dream ain't going to die. Hold on to your faith. Your baby is coming home. Hold on to your faith. Hold on. Hold on. I said, hold on. Hold on. Don't give up. It's going to come on you like it's overwhelming to just give up. Don't quit. Keep on. Your pur- your, there's purpose in your pain just because you're waiting, just because you're in a delay doesn't mean God's forgotten about you. And so he tells her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. And while he was talking, so at the exact same time, that he was talking. So he's talking to the daughter. And somebody from Jairus' house had to have been somebody he was in a relationship with. Had to have been somebody he trusted. Probably part of his family. Shows up at the exact same time. Jesus is looking at the daughter. And the family is talking to Jairus. Jairus, she's dead. Why trouble the master anymore? And Jesus looks at him. He spins around as if he heard it all happen because he knows. And he knew that Jairus was in the crucible of his life right there. It was the, that was the turning point. That was the ultimate moment for him. And he knew, I got to encourage him right now. Jesus may not always show up when you want him. But he's always right on time. And he looks at Jairus and he says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Don't let that devil riddle your mind. Because faith, faith will always have to cross the line of fear. To get to the outcome. That's why faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen because the fact that you are willing to hold on to hope and cross the line of fear is evidence enough that what you don't see right now, you're gonna see real soon. And so he tells them, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't worry about the circumstances here. And it's interesting because these voices come, and it's always somebody's voice. It's always somebody's voice. In the garden, it was the serpents. 
whispering to Eve. It's always somebody's voice that will get you to question, did God really say, are you really called to that ministry? Are you really supposed to be blessed? Are you really going to get healed? Are you really going to receive that promise that God told you? Are you really going to live in the prosperity that he guaranteed for you? There's always voices. But this lady, she gives this, this picture of what we should do in the moment because she said within herself there was a voice she was listening to. There was a voice she was listening to. And he trusted what Jesus said, not what everybody else said. Side note, many times in Scripture, women represent the church. Many times in Scripture, you can see that, where women are a type and shadow of the church. And in one instance, you see one that has an issue of blood. She's losing her life source. Then you see another one that's dying. And the one that is dying was left in the hands of faithless, scornful people. And I fear that the church is in the hands of faithless, scornful people. And I think what we need in the church, the body of Christ today, is some desperation because we got too comfortable here in America because we're so dang blessed that we forgot that we need Jesus more than anything else. That if you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care where you live. I don't care what you like. I don't care what you drive. I don't care what your friends are. I don't care your status. I don't care how much influence you have. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have anything. And too many of us are too proud to get down on our belly and crawl just to get a touch from him. Some of you ain't been touched by Jesus in so long, you forgot what it's like. I dare you to just look back in your mind, in your spiritual memory one time. And remember when Jesus touched you, when you were so overwhelmed by the Spirit of God that something changed up inside of you. That's Jesus. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. Why trouble you the master? Why trouble you the master? They knew he was the master. They just didn't know the master. They knew he was the master. They just didn't know he was the master. Because they would have responded a little different. Why trouble him? This thing is over. This thing is dead. This business transaction is over. This house closing is done. This verdict has been set. This addiction is forever. This sickness is going to end in death. This thing is over. Why trouble the master? Why pray about it any longer? Why believe for it anymore? Why have faith for it any longer? Just give up. Just let go. Just quit. Why trouble the master? But without faith, it is impossible, Hebrews eleven six 6, to please him. Listen, for he that cometh for he that cometh, for he, we don't have nobody coming to Jesus no more. You don't have to be unsaved to come to Jesus. You need to come to Jesus every day. For he that cometh to God must believe, believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. God will allow you to get all the way to the bottom just so that you'll remember that he is.
God will let you lose everything just so that you remember that he is. God will let you get desperate just so you can remember that he is. And you didn't do it on your own. He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, the problem is we diligently sought him and we found him and we experienced him and then we stopped diligently seeking him. And so the reward stopped showing up and we thought God forgot about us and we're wondering why he's not hearing our prayers and it's not had nothing to do with nothing other than you just forgot to diligently seek him. Seek him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We're about to close. God is pleased to do the impossible. God is pleased to do the impossible. He is pleased to do the impossible. See, you may lose a lot. You may lose your friends. You may have to lose your reputation. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't that what they said about Jesus? They're trying to degrade him. Isn't this Joseph's son? You may lose everything you have. You may lose your money. You may lose something dear to you that you never thought possible. But I want to encourage you, don't lose your faith. Whatever you do, keep the faith. Whatever you do, hold on to your faith. Jesus said, if you have faith the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can barely see it. If you have faith that big, it can move a mountain. Jesus said, when the when he was speaking to the woman, he said, you know, the bread isn't for the dogs. And she said, I'll just take a crumb. I'll just take a crumb. You may only have a crumb left. You may only have a seed. It may be the most desperate hour of your life. You may have lost it all. Keep your faith. No matter what, how crazy it is in this dang world we live in, it's horrible. Keep your faith. Scared to send our kids to school. Keep your faith. Arguing about killing babies. Keep your faith. Arguing about all the mess that we see on social media and in the politics and all that mess. Who cares? Keep your faith. Don't lose your faith in some fight that don't matter. Don't lose your faith. You may lose it all. Keep it. Guard it. Hold it. Love it. Cherish it. Keep your faith. You may have to get rid of some of the people that are closest to you. Don't worry. Jesus will help you. When he walked in Jairus' house, Jairus probably didn't know how to get rid of them folks. And Jesus said, you get out of here. Don't be worried about some of them people leaving your life. Maybe Jesus sent them away. Because your baby is dying. Your promise is dying. Your gift is dying. You don't need nobody in your life that's speaking death over them. 
You don't need nobody in your life that's speaking negativity in your ear. You don't need nobody in your life that's telling you Jesus can't do it. You don't need nobody in your life to tell you to quit praying. You don't need nobody in your life to tell you to give up. You don't need nobody in telling you don't trouble the master any longer. It's time for somebody to get back to the master's feet and say, I know he can do it. I know he can do it. There's somebody in this room that needs this word today. There's somebody in this room that needs this word today. I need you to lift up your hands and just begin to worship him. The cool thing about Jairus is he didn't waste no time. As soon as he saw Jesus passing by, he fell down at his feet. We don't fall down at the feet of Jesus no more. There's something dying in your life, and I promise you, Jesus ain't forgot about you. Jesus ain't forgot about your gift. Jesus ain't forgot about your promise.